me, I almost forgot to wire myself for sound. And while I'm doing that, I'll go ahead and say that I very, very much appreciate the congregation here. I was just thrilled when I got the message from Brother Randy about being able to come and everything, and I just uh, thought, well, it's, I, I don't get to go back to Putnam County. This is going to be neat. And I was a little self-conscious to have different people from my family visit during the week and things like that, but at the same time, it provided me with an opportunity to not only get reacquainted with them, but especially to get to talk to some of you all and to be introduced to the congregation here at Pippin. I always knew of the good reputation that Pippin had, it's just that I did not have opportunity really when I was younger and getting my schooling in, uh, you know, failing physics and things like that. I, I didn't really have opportunity at the time to investigate and, and get to know the congregation here, but I'm certainly glad that we have got opportunity to do that. Everything from the fine meal that you all provided on Sunday to the warm welcome each night, the prayers each night, including the one tonight for myself and for my family. We just thank you so much for that and would like to be able to uh, just to get to know you all even better as time permits in the future. As we think tonight about what I've already talked about, having mentioned the judgment of God last night, brethren, I can preach unto you the whole counsel of God and without any kind of reservation or any kind of feeling within my heart, well, Tim, you, you can't just give this side of it. You need to talk about the other side too. We talked about the other side. If somebody here is not prepared for the Lord, then we want to help you. But if you are not prepared for God, then this sermon, the best thing it can do for you is to let you know, here are the good things you're missing out on, okay? And for those of us who are prepared for God, it's to get you to understand that God wants us to have an expansive view to the rapturous, if you want to use that. I know it was in two songs, wasn't it? The rapturous concept of heaven and all that God has planned for us. We begin tonight in Matthew chapter 6 in verses 19 and 20. Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount and he encouraged the people. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves rather treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Here on earth, as I pointed out last night, one of the many sins that besets man is people don't respect other people's stuff, their property. And one of the things that you do not find in heaven is any of the vices that people have here upon this earth. So instead of dwelling upon any of those things, I would like for you to consider that in heaven you can appreciate every single thing that you gathered to yourself as a good part of your character and that will be accentuated and exemplified in heaven itself. Every good deed is laid up before God, isn't it? And God remembers every single one. He doesn't forget one of them. If certainly he knows every hair on your head, he certainly knows every good thing you did, the thoughts of your heart, the sacrifices that you made. God remembers every one. Today, this very morning, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for a very sweet lady. They wouldn't mind me telling you exactly who it was. Her name was Betty Crawford. Betty was in the nursing home up in Tompkinsville, Kentucky. Before that, she had been married for 65 years to the same man, and they had gone through life trying to do the best they can to raise five different children. She worked along in different jobs as she went down through the way, and she would have all kinds of people into her home. She lodged strangers. She helped people. They even had listed on the grandchildren 
others besides her physical grandchildren because she would have people in her home. Like, for example, this little disabled girl she had in her home, Jessica Hunts, who it was, and she took care of her, raised her, and just helped that family out so much. Such a sweet lady. When I was there, it was, if you all understand what I mean, an easy funeral. Do you know what I mean by that? Randy knows what I mean by that. An easy funeral. And when you had all those grandchildren, one got up and would read Proverbs 31, and everybody assented to that. Yes, that was Sister Betty. And another one got up and read the obituary and explained all that she had done in her life, how that she sacrificed for her family. Uh, she was a black lady and had to suffer through the uh, ignominy of having to finish her education at eighth grade. And then later on, late in life, in 1988, was able to get her GED and walk through that line with the high school graduates so proud, so excited, and was able just to do all kinds of interesting things in her life that a lot of people in the world would look down on. But now, in her death, all these people met there and lined up and gave those amens and assented every time we said, such a sweet lady, such a wonderful lady, and her works do follow her. Now that's the kind of thing I want said about me. Isn't that what you want said about you? That's the kind of thing I want people to remember me for. But it only happens for a prepared people, for those who have laid up treasure in heaven. Now what does he mean by heaven here? Obviously he does not mean, as we talked about on Sunday morning in Sunday school, the uh, atmosphere... Now, the Bible uses that word in reference to the word heaven, but that, that's not what we're talking about. Do we mean outer space? It's heaven like uh, one of those planets they found around uh, one of the stars of Alpha Centauri or something like that. No, no, no. That's not, that's not what we mean. Heaven is not some alien planet out there and God's going to translate us to somewhere else in the physical universe. That's not the idea. There is the invisible, that is the things not seen, the spiritual abode. You don't see your soul, but you know you have one. It animates the body by use of the control of the mind, initiating the thoughts of decision that we make for good or evil. The spirit of man returns unto the God who gave it. Before God ever made the physical universe, we speak of him as living in heaven, right? It's God's home. It's his place. Did you know that heaven is mentioned like 700 times in the Bible? Isn't that incredible? 700 times. That Jesus mentions it about 100 times. Just in the short books there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about 100 times Jesus talking about heaven, including right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Heaven, heaven, heaven. He's all about it. And you have a, a, an unwillingness among some preachers to preach on the subject of heaven. And I tell you what, I think part of that is is because they haven't already laid the groundwork by preaching on hell. Therefore, they wouldn't feel consistent on preaching in heaven, so they leave it off. Some people also don't really want to touch too much on heaven because I think that they're in Christianity just to satisfy their conscience and they don't really have a deep and abiding trust that God has a place for them. My friends... If God doesn't have heaven waiting for us, I want you to consider how awful it would be. If God doesn't have heaven waiting for us, then that means the resurrection is pointless, right? And if there is no resurrection, then the apostle Paul said, we are of all men most pitiable. Why, you think about it. Well, these Christians, all they are is just wishing for some pie in the sky idea that doesn't even exist. 
and they go through all these conditions upon this earth and make all of these agonizing decisions about right and wrong, why, why not just live however you want, mistreat your body and cash out whenever you get ready? I mean, what's the difference? Nobody's here to judge you. Nobody is uh, going to say anything to you. If you hurt somebody in life, who cares? doesn't matter how you behaved. You mistreated your family. Who cares? Nobody would care about anything. Heaven is bound part and parcel with the doctrine of the resurrection and gives us the blessed hope of everything God has planned for us. And I want tonight, I want you to open your mind up and think about heaven for a little bit. I want us to get some pictures of heaven, about the kind of things that God wants us to feel when it comes to the subject of heaven. The kind of thing that God wants us to envision when we think about heaven. In the book of Revelation, in your Bibles, do you realize that Revelation 1, 2, and 3 is pretty straightforward to the seven churches of Asia and then he writes to them and tells each one exactly what they needed to straighten out and how they were good and how they were bad. Revelation 4 and 5, did you know virtually nothing is happening in Revelation 4 and 5? You say, what do you mean, Tim? John describes all kinds of grandiose things in Revelation 4 and 5. That's right. But he doesn't talk about things happening. What he does is he says, I had a vision of the throne of God. This is what I saw. John is using two chapters of that incredible book in Revelation and he stretches the English language, the Greek language, any language you want to translate it in, he stretches it to the fullest extent in the use of figure of speech with metaphor and simile trying to tell us this is what it's like. Can you believe what I saw? And for everyone who says, yes, John, I can believe it, then that glorious vision drives us forward. John, what did you say? Oh, I saw this. It was absolutely incredible. It looked like this. Have you ever seen some of the most glorious creatures that, that were ever created? Have you ever seen big masses of people gathered in unison to do certain things? Have you ever viewed expansive things in the crea creations and the works of men? And it's even so much more than that. Have you ever seen a big bunch of precious metals or stones put together and seen them in the, in the infinite amount? They're just all over the place. And he's all excited, isn't he? And he's just delivering this and that. It's hard to put it all in words. We read it sometimes and it's like, I have a hard time making sense of it. Well, how are you going to express it if you just saw heaven? How are you going to put that in words? It's difficult, isn't it? I saw the throne of God, ladies and gentlemen. I, how can you say it? I, I don't know exactly what to say to you about it. He spent two chapters trying to paint the picture for us and did the best by the inspiration of God that any person could ever do in language. I encourage you to study on that yourself. But all Revelation 4 and 5 is before you get to the opening of the seals and the blowing of the trumpets and all that. That's just the vision. John's just saying, whoa, look what I saw. Look what I saw. It's incredible. And I encourage you to do some study on that. Now, heaven is big. That means we're talking about a big concept. Not big in the sense of saying this building's big compared to this other building. Heaven is big in the sense, well, in every sense. Spatially, if you want to think of it that way, sure, sure. But you don't even have to think of it that way. It's big in the sense of ideas. Heaven is big in the sense of numbers, the number of souls included, the number of created beings. Let's face it, you consider heaven to be the angelic abode as well, don't you? And doesn't the Bible mention legions of angels? Well, that's an incredible concept. Man made a little lower than the angels. Jesus points out later on in the resurrection becomes like the angels. You remember him saying that? 
Remember they asked Jesus, they said, uh, you got a man, and he marries a woman, and she outlives him, and then she marries another one. Let's say his brother or something, and then she outlives him, and then she marries another brother, and she outlives him. And they said, well, in the resurrection, whose is she? And Jesus said, you don't know the power of God. He says, they're like the angels. They're not worried about marrying and giving in marriage anymore. They're like the angels. It, it, we picture that as the angelic abode, and God says, you're going to be there. You've got to open your mind to something bigger, Jesus is saying. And we wish that all people were willing to do that. So heaven is a spiritual abode. Belief in heaven is tied in with belief in the resurrection and especially the resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul was speaking to some people and he said, Do you think it an incredible thing? Why do you think it's an incredible thing? That the dead should rise up. After all, if there's a creator, then he can do whatever he wants with his creation. And if God wants us to rise up from the dead, certainly God can do that. God joined a spirit to a body in your conception, did he not? God can separate that, and it's called death. God can reform you into an immortal body, and it is life again. And therefore, this new immortal form is going to appear before God and going to receive the blessed word, enter in to the joy of thy Lord. Entrance into heaven is accomplished according to the description given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So y'all might want to turn your Bibles over there for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The section really that concerns us tonight begins in verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35. Now we'll start with that in just a moment. Here's what I thought I would do next, though. Remember, if you want to do some follow-up study on this, it's on the Mount Gilead website, www.mountgileadchurch.net. You can just look up Mount Gilead Church of Christ on uh, Google or something, and you'll find us pretty quick. Look on Sermons for Today, and you'll find these notes, but you will not find these questions. This is just something I was studying on today, and I thought, well, I'll share this with them. In rapid order, I want to share with you all about six different questions about the resurrection and how it ties into heaven that people wonder about. Because you don't get heaven without the resurrection, do you? You've got to have resurrection day and then you go into heaven. So people ask a lot of questions about that. Number one, when I die, is the body left me? Uh, that is, is it me or is it just a shell? People wonder about that. You know, you see them like today I was at the funeral home and we mentioned about Sister Crawford. Well, we had her body right there, right? And so am I referring to that body? And somebody says, is it left? What body is left? Is that me or is it just a shell? Answer, it's a shell, but it's your shell. <laughs> now, here's what I mean by that. You don't cease to possess what belonged to you. Right now, this is Tim McHenry. Tim McHenry likes Tim McHenry. I, I don't disassociate myself from my own body. It is me. Man is a triune being just like God. We have body, soul, and spirit, right? Now, we, you can't deny that. That's in the Bible. It's just plain and sure. And part of that is body. God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you all following me on that? You got that? Man is a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Now, when you take and you separate those then the body is left here, but only in a temporary sense. Now, God doesn't need every bit of that body. 
we got somebody right now in the Mount Gilead Church, and he's got a problem with diabetes. And they've had to take a couple of his toes, and he's gone into surgery again today. And my mind's weighing heavy on that. But the fact of the matter is, is that Brother John can go into heaven without his foot, can't he? That's right. You don't need that. You see what I mean? You don't have to have every little bit reconstituted. It doesn't work that way. Remember when I was talking to Brother Scott back in the uh, Sunday school lesson? And I said, now, which Brother Scott do we want to have in the day of resurrection? Does he want the 60-year-old? Does he want the uh, 40-year-old? Does he want the 20-year-old? Does he want the baby Scott? You see, you, you don't know uh, how God's going to do that, but you do know I, I'm not thinking of it in those terms. At least you don't need to. People ask me some of the most harebrained things when it comes to the subject of heaven. And it's not sinful. It's not a sinful thing. But inside, I'm just like, I declare, I don't know what to say about that. Because they're thinking in such a narrow way. Well, it, uh, will we be hungry? Can we eat whatever we want? <laughs> mm. uh, well, I don't think you have to worry about being hungry. I, uh, well, uh, look, if a man can't eat and he can't fish, why, well, he's going to be bored as all get out. Oh, it, you, you need to open it up a little bit, fella. Open it up and expand your mind. You're not restricted to the body you have here. You take on an immortal form. So somebody says, when you die, is that just a shell? It is a shell, but it's your shell and no, nobody else's. And on the day of resurrection, God will reconstitute to an immortal form. Now, I'll have more to say about that in just a moment. Okay, second question. At the resurrection, is there a bodily resurrection or does God just give us a body? In other words, does God have something waiting up there and say, oh, this one's much more appropriate, boom, here you go. It is a bodily resurrection. I don't know how God's going to do that, but we're going to see from 1 Corinthians 15, he's able to do it. And he does it in the natural world in ways that we don't understand. And he does it with us in ways we don't understand. But just hang on a second and we'll read from 1 Corinthians 15. All right, number three. If it's a bodily resurrection, then what body is resurrected? Our old body, our young body, or some other body? Now that's what the question we were looking at before. The answer is, it's possessed by us. It's our body. It, it is us. But it's neither the young or the old body, but our immortal body. That's the key phrase you need to focus on. The immortal body that takes the form. There is a beautiful picture in Revelation. You all know, of course, as Christians, the Bible is one book. It's not a separate little series of things they just kind of haphazardly threw together. When God had Genesis written, Revelation was meant as the cap to it all, to put it all together. What do you find in Genesis? In Genesis, you find the Garden of Eden. Now, you all think with me, church, what's in that Garden of Eden? You got the tree of life, don't you? Right, you got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, they ate of that one, and that's, that's bad. But they had the tree of life. And God said, unless we kick them out of here... They're going to eat the tree of life and live forever in sin. Now, God's not going to have that, is he? So he kicked them out. And remember, he put the angel on guard and said, no, 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 you can't go in. Well, in, he in the Garden of Eden, you had that tree of life. Guess what it says in Revelation? You get access to the tree of life. In other words, God renews and keeps you in an immortal form. Ever since Tim McHenry was conceived, then there is always going to be a Tim McHenry. It's just a question of what form Tim McHenry is going to be in. 
God says, I'm going to put you in a place where you have access again to the tree of life in an immortal form that doesn't need the physical universe and its sustenance. I will sustain you and I will give you everything that you need in order to make it worthwhile and in order to make it a fulfilling existence. And here we go on the fourth question. If there is such a big difference in the immortal form and our mortal bodies, and there is a big difference, which we're going to see from 1 Corinthians 15, then what is the purpose of the bodily resurrection? Why would God use even any speck of dust of what used to be me to raise me up if God's going to give me something so much grander and so much better? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? I wondered about that myself. I mean, what's, why mess with this? Thing. You see what I mean? You know, why, if you're going to give me something so much better, what's up with this? And the answer to that is, is that, well, you got to have faith. And the faith is to show power over death. Jesus paved the way in this. Now in Acts chapter 2, it points out that his body did not see corruption. And Jesus was raised early on that third day, wasn't he? Now you look at our resurrection. God does not want our resurrection to be so dissimilar from Jesus's that we don't get the idea that he has power over death. Right now, I am body, soul, and spirit. God does not forget a single bit of you. And therefore, God says, I'm going to raise you up. It's not that God needs the dust that my body goes back to. He doesn't need it. God is showing I control it. I have power over death. I give life and I can take life, and I can give it again. We are born again into the family of God. We are resurrected into the ultimate state of the eternal life with access under the tree of life in heaven itself. God has the power to do that. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, 17 and 18, I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The ways of God are such that he is able to say, I prove to you my power over death by giving a bodily resurrection. Why don't Christians think more about heaven then, people say? Or talk about heaven? Well, first of all, they don't think more about it because they don't have faith that they're going there. You need to be absolutely assured that you're going there. People in the Old Testament didn't understand a lot of the things about Jesus. They were waiting for the Messiah. And yet David, a good man before God, is spoken of in Acts chapter 2 as being dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. It was still David in the sense that they could say, yeah, David's buried right there. It was his body. But David himself lived in a much grander hope, didn't he? The hope of the promises of God. David didn't die thinking, well, maybe God will let the Messiah come through my lineage. Maybe God will fulfill his promises unto me. No, 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 no. Just like Abraham of old, David died in hope. And God wants us to have that same kind of hope. How can someone today live, even as a Christian, without that hope of eternal life? There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. The one hope is the hope of eternal life. And the hope that we live in is absolutely essential if you're going to live a productive Christian life. I really get bothered. Now, this is the most preachy I'll get, I guess, in this whole sermon. I really get bothered by Christians, people who are saved, who turn right around 
and beat themselves up every single day as if they're not among the saved. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. There's no way you can say, well, I feel good today, therefore I have the hope of heaven. Well, I don't feel good about myself today. I did some bad things. I, I don't have the hope of heaven. It's based on more than that. It's not the fickleness of your emotions. God says, I want you to understand no matter whether you're having a good day or a bad day, no matter if you were mistreated today or if you mistreated somebody else and repented, God wants you to know, I gave you a promise. Now listen to it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth, you either believed or you didn't. He that is baptized, either you obeyed God or you didn't, shall be saved. That's not Tim McHenry's promise. That's the promise of heaven itself. You say, well, I did those things. My friend, listen to the promise of God. You've got it, man. You're saved. You're going to let our denominational friends one-up us on this? They talk to you all the time and they say, are you saved? And they just rejoice in the idea of being saved and yet we mope around and don't rejoice in it. But we have a better promise because I've got it right here in the inspired promise and word of God. He tells me I am. I did that. I humbled myself in gospel obedience. God says, you've got it. I promise you, you're saved. Now why doubt God? Just rejoice in your salvation and go on and live your life. Live a good life, the Lord takes you on to heaven. It's as easy as that. People make it way too complicated. If you don't leave God, nobody can take salvation away from you. You can walk away from God. But people, here's another thing. They come to me, Tim, I, I don't know, have I messed myself up so much that God won't have me back? Oh, please don't go down that route. God not only will have you back, but the fact that your heart is still tender shows you haven't walked away from Him yet. God is just waiting on you to correct something here. Yeah, you've had some backsliding there, but you don't just pop in and out of grace like that all the time. The Bible doesn't teach that. God promised you salvation. Are you trying to do anything bad right now? Well, no, not really. You got any plans to do bad things? Well, no, I'm, I'm in church. I mean, hey, after all, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. My friend, you're saved. You're saved. Rejoice in that. That's a big hallelujah, isn't it? That's a great thing. So uh, don't beat yourself up too much about that kind of a thing. People worry way too much. Why worry about the promises of God? He said it. He'll make it happen. Is it proper to refer to a person's body then as them, even if they're dead? Yeah, it's okay. Acts chapter 2, as I mentioned before, David is referred to as David, even though David was long gone. But he still was referred to as David, dead and buried. So it's accommodative language. There's no problem with that. You can refer to him that way. All right, now 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at it. Beginning in verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15. Someone will say, How are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? Foolish one. You sow, uh, not, uh, what you sow is not alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. Why I didn't do this, I don't know. I should have done it because I haven't even set them out yet. 
All right, I get these little bitty tomato seeds. They're even hard to separate. You know, you get them in the little bitty packets at the store, and I'm trying to figure out. All right, now these are those little bitty tommy toes, and these over here are going to become these big old beef masters and jumbo hybrids and all that, and all of them look about the same size, don't they? There's little bitty specks of seeds, and you take them and you're putting them in those little pots and everything, and now I've got some in the pots, and they're ready to be planted out, and they're growing up and all that. And so I look at what the plants look like now. Well, they don't look anything like that seed. That seed looked as dead as 4 o'clock. You can have that seed sit there for years that way, can't you? You don't add any water, don't do anything to it, nothing will ever come of it. But I put it in the ground, and I added water, and guess what? Look what come up from this. Wow, that doesn't look anything like that seed. The glory of the plant is totally separate from the glory of the seed. Now, a few months later, you give that thing a couple of months, it's in the ground, and if you've been taking care of it, you go back and you're going to have a big, juicy red tomato on there, aren't you? Big, juicy red tomato. Now, let me ask you this. I got those seeds. They weren't cucumber seeds. They weren't corn seed. That was tomato seed. It was tomato now, it sprung up, and then I have the plant. You see that big, green, bushy plant? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Somebody says, well, what is that? You say, that's tomato. Well, it don't look anything like a seed. I know it doesn't, but it's tomato. Later on, you get that beautiful, big old red fruit or the little bitty tart fruit, either one you want to look at. Well, that don't look anything like the plant. You pluck it off, and you show it to somebody and say, yeah, but this is tomato. And they say, yeah, that's tomato. Every one of them is tomato, but the glory of one is not the glory of the other. Are you following me on that? That's the illustration God's using. He's saying, you look at me now, and is this the Tim that you forever shall be? Well, I hope not. <laughs> you, you want something more. And God says, oh, I got more. I got more. What you are doing now is you are planting that which is mere grain. What's going to happen is the glory that is resurrected is the immortal form, and it's the same thing, but it's more than that. Don't you understand? That's the way it works in nature, he says. That's the way it works with God. God does that with everything. So he explains this process as you go through the chapter a little bit further. Skip with me down to verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. You understand that from nature. Everything's got its own glorious nature. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is a glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. The physical bodies we have. It is raised a spiritual body. It doesn't need an earth. It doesn't need a sun or the moon. It doesn't need gravity. It doesn't need the physical universe. It lives in the power and of the nature of the divine God himself. It lives in fellowship with the eternal being that made us all. And God says, come to me. I want to show you all that this life is. I want to show you the ultimate reality of the spirit that lies within. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. 
Now I'll let you read and study on some more 1 Corinthians 15 yourself. But you get the idea, I hope, there of what God is going to do and how he develops us in a spiritual way. Now, I've been preaching for a little while, but really now we come to the main meat of what I wanted to mention to you. And that is, I want us to get some pictures of what heaven is like. You can't really express it in words if you're not inspired. And even the inspired words, as I mentioned to you before from Revelation 4 and 5, I could read them to you, but I just don't know that that would help tonight. You can study on that yourself. You know that it's a big grand thing, heaven, right? So I don't know that that would help. I believe it would help if we just get a picture emotionally from what the Scripture gives us of what heaven is like. Number one, heaven is a great reunion. After Sister Crawford passed on, we went this morning, which had now turned into afternoon, and we came back from the graveside, and everybody gathered over into a church house, and there was a huge meal. I, you know how they do that, and I mean it was a spread, and they had all kinds of stuff from friends there, a big old dessert table, and they had all kinds of people that were gathering in there. Family came in, friends came in, and people had this big old reunion. They were relieved. Not that they had all had closure from the hole in their heart where they had lost Sister Betty temporarily, but they were taking solace in each other's company and in the company of friends. And every single person there that had the hope of Jesus Christ knew this is not the end of my relationship with my dear loved one. They were hoping for a grand reunion. You say, Tim... I've got questions about that. Will we know one another in heaven? Generally speaking, yes. How can you be so sure about that? All of the scripture. That's how I can be so sure. There is no scripture that indicates anything else. And there's plenty of scripture to indicate otherwise. I'll show you a couple of them. Um, Tim, if I'm going to know somebody, it'll be in a new relationship though, right? Yeah, perhaps so. But the fact of the matter is, is heaven is a grand reunion here over at this gospel meeting. I normally just get to see uh, Aunt Dan, uh, Uncle Dan and Aunt Cass uh, just, what, Easter time, Christmas time? That's about it. And uh, they gave us a TV. Remember that one time? That was neat. But uh, the, Uncle Dan, he's always been good to us and Aunt Kathy and uh, just the finest of people, but I hardly ever get to see them. But guess what? Here they were two nights over at the meeting here with us at Pippin. That was nice. All these people that I knew from when I was growing up over around Double Springs. Now, I'm not going to start naming all of you all and everything, but I, I appreciate you all, and I appreciate so much that you kept me in your memory. I'm very humbled by that. And, uh, and you all in, in mind, it's a precious memory and good and fun days. And you would like to think that I don't have to let those go. Heaven is where God is telling you, you don't have to let it go. Heaven is a grand reunion. Proof number one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. How many times do preachers start like I did this morning in that funeral? A good sister in Christ has passed on from us. I went straight over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and I started in verse 13. I would not have you sorrow even as others that don't have any hope. For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so also those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. And then I went down through there, and as you approach down in verses 17 and 18, I want you to notice this very carefully because it's easy to skip. 
As you go down there in verses 17 and 18, listen to verse 17. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up, now don't skip the word, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Well, I'd hate to think I won't be able to see anybody else. No, I'm not supposed to know you. <laughs> Lord, are you there? Yeah, there he is right there. I can't see anybody else. Uh-uh. Together with them. Together. How do you not know? You know they're there. They're coming up to Jesus as well. It's all the same heaven. Why be restricted that way? Heaven is a grand reunion. You say, but what if I look around and I don't find so-and-so? God takes care of that. Trust in the promise of God. He shall wipe every tear from their eye. John said so, didn't he? God inspired him to, said so, to say so. Therefore, that's what's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19. What is our hope? What is our crown of rejoicing or boasting? Is it not even you in the presence of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus brings His presence, the coming of our Lord is going to be such that the Thessalonians going to meet Jesus was Paul's pride and joy. Well, Paul, you'd never know it. You're never going to see Him again. How much sense does that make? Well, Paul, you'd never know whether they're going to be saved or not because you won't have anything to do with them. Paul doesn't indicate that. He said, that's my rejoicing. That's what I joy in, is you meeting the Lord Jesus on that great day. And I believe God fulfills that, fulfills his joy. It is a great reunion with God himself. Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are a figure of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, Hebrews 9, verse 24. It is a reunion with the obedient of God. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy. He has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. And therefore God has a place waiting, not just for one, but for all the obedient, together with Him. Heaven is a great reunion. Furthermore, heaven is vindication. Vindication for a Christian. I preached yesterday to you all on the judgment of God and on hell. I want to admit something to you. Preaching on the subject of hell is not exactly what caused me to be baptized into Christ. I'm not saying that I didn't have the fear of God. I'm just saying that's not the sermon that did it. When I was hearing of the way of Jesus, what he did for me, that was a big motivation. And there was something else that motivated me too. The other thing that motivated me is that I could not stand the idea of not being right. What if I don't have this religion thing right? What if I'm wrong and I should be something else? Perhaps I should be, you know, some other religion. Perhaps I should be in some other church. I, I don't know that I should do this until I find out that this way is right. And there can be nothing else. It has to be right. I wanted to get it right. Just like those old tests with the math questions. I, I want to get them right. I can't stand it when it's wrong. I want it right. 
And there's only one way for it to be right. There's only one right answer. Give me the right answer. Heaven is vindication for Christians. It's when you get the test back and it says 100 on it. It's when God says everything you lived and sacrificed for, it was worthwhile. You were right. You were right to live and have the principles that you had and not follow other people to go to the places that they would go to. You were right to sacrifice in time to help others when there was nothing in it for you. You were right to bend your knee in prayer unto God at night when nobody was watching because it was an avenue of faith and you extended that faith unto heaven itself. God was listening. You were right. And the Apostle Paul had that in mind when he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all them that love is appearing. Paul, you were right. It was good for you to pick yourself up after being stoned in that city and go to the next one and preach the gospel as well, because God has a crown of rejoicing waiting for you. Heaven is our vindication. Thirdly, heaven is our great reward. The Bible says that so persecuted they, the prophets that were before you, rejoice and be exceeding glad, Matthew 5 and verse 12, for your reward in heaven is great. Your reward in heaven. Tomorrow we're supposed to do a little uh, chess tournament after school with some young'uns. Those that win get a trophy. And so they, they'll like that, won't they? Yay, I won. I got a trophy. Well, heaven's the ultimate trophy. You won. You, you get it. You get rewards from that. Would God not reward his children? If, he, if a son asks of his father a, a fish, will he give him a stone? No, he gives him the blessing. Here's your reward. And that's what heaven is like for us. It's where God puts you up on that podium and says, there you go. You did it. You made it. I supplied my grace I give you an abundant entrance into heaven itself. Come, enter into the joy of thy Lord. Heaven is our reward. Heaven is rest. Revelation 14, verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. To you who are troubled, rest. Now, that's not a verb there. It's a noun. In other words, that's the blessing that God give, gives us, the condition of state. I give you rest. You're able to be at ease. Just like the prophets of old who served God, and God then said, your job is now done. I give you rest. Elijah, I'll take up in a chariot. Samuel, I supply unto you rest. All of those people who have served God in the past, the Lord says, here it is. I finally give you rest from your labors. You know what heaven's like? I've given this illustration before. I think it's pretty apropos. It's about four in the morning. Now, unless you're one of those people that do four in the morning, and I'm not one of those people, all right, something startled you. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is you've been having a hard time with or anything, something bump in the night, whatever. But there was a noise. And it's, oh, well, do I have to get up? What time is it? And you look over and the clock says four o'clock. Why well, don't I have to get up till 6 o'clock? Oh, this bed feels warm. 
you know, I, I don't have any pains right now. I think, yeah, I think a couple more hours of shut-eye would be pretty good. You know, this is, this is pretty neat, actually. Everything's quiet, and I just, I, and, then, and then there you go. You don't feel any better than when you feel right then, right? And you go right back off into that sleep. God says, rest, rest. You didn't know it in this life, maybe. You went from one worry to the next. You didn't know what was right around the corner and you were concerned about one situation after another. God says, ease your mind. Feel no more pain in your body. You're at ease in the warmth and comfort of God. And there's no reason to get up. God says, wait on my judgment because it's going to be good for you. Rest. That's good, isn't it? Heaven's rest. And so shall we ever be able to rest with the Lord. That's just one of the impressions of heaven. Heaven is a bright summer day. Revelation 21 and verse 23. Jesus Christ is the light, isn't he? Just like I don't understand the fusion process in the sun, I don't understand that. But I know it's there and I know it's giving us light and heat. Likewise, I do not know all that God has planned for me in heaven, but I know Jesus Christ is my light there and that he will supply unto me every good and perfect thing. Revelation 21 verse 23. Heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is a precious stone. You ever tried to think, what can I give to my wife that she might appreciate at anniversary, birthday, something like that? And you go off and you look at everything from pearls and you're looking at diamonds and you're looking at uh, emeralds and you're looking at uh, onyx and you're looking at different birthstones and all of that and all of these precious metals and all of these precious things. And God, you, he tells you right there in Revelation chapter 21 in verses 10 and 11, he says, you want to look into heaven? What do you see in heaven? He says, I see all those things. Isn't that what John said? He, said, he described them to us. He saw all those different precious stones and the sea of glass, and the pearly gates, and the gold overlaid. He sees preciousness all around him. Heaven is a precious stone. What we like in the earth and its most rare jewels and beauty, something you could stare into and wonder about all of your life, God says, that's heaven, and I want to show it to you. I want to close with these words of inspiration in 1 Corinthians 15 again. And hopefully the impressions of heaven will let you have motivation to want to be a part of that and come unto the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 55, and then in verses 57 and 58, Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's because God has heaven waiting for you. Don't you want to be there? Don't you want to go with me? And all of those people who have ever loved the Lord Jesus Christ in His appearing, it can be yours. It's there for the taking. Just come and receive Jesus Christ in gospel obedience tonight. Cast off all your old life. Be born again in the obedience of baptism and serve God faithfully unto death. Won't you come unto Him now as we stand and sing?